0: We're talking about war. That war, who are we fighting against? Principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness. Last week, pastors talked about how we fight in the spirit, we fight with spiritual weapons, we fight with divinely powerful weapons, and we fight to demolish strongholds. Uh, My English lesson for today. Uh, I mentioned this first service, it's pretty cool. When you think about this song about fighting our battles, uh, the fight begins with what I call an oxymoron, which is the opposite of what you think a topic is. And this battle begins with surrender, which is never how we think about battles when we're fighting. But see, when you think of Christ He was fighting the battle against sin, our sin. And in order to win that battle, he had to surrender himself to be put on a cross, to shed his blood so that we wouldn't have to. He could have called, what's the song, 10,000 angels. With the words of his mouth, he could have destroyed everybody that was there hanging him on that cross. But instead he surrendered. Because that's where the battle begins, see. In our battle against sin and against death, we need to surrender to the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when we surrender, then he's able to battle through us. It's kind of cool, I guess kind of, I like that concept, I like the song. Uh, It is something we need to practice because I'm telling you, you're not gonna understand anything I'm talking about today unless you've surrendered to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we now open your word, uh, I would ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit would do what he does best and speak through the power of the Holy Word of God to each one of our hearts here today. I ask that you block out the mess that goes on around in life, all the stuff that gets in the way of, of your power working through us, Father, and I pray that we'll be able to focus and concentrate on what you have for us here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Pastor C is up in New York this weekend. Uh, guy, he's been doing some trades, getting his frequent fly miles in. Uh, he's been getting around. Uh, so pray for him. Uh, he'll be home. He'll be coming home tomorrow, uh, driving on our wonderful highways. So just uh, keep him in prayer as him and Lisa uh, come back tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> we're talking about War. At war, who are we fighting against? Principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness. Last week, pastors talked about how we fight in the spirit, we fight with spiritual weapons, we fight with divinely powerful weapons, and we fight to demolish strongholds. If you'll please take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we'll start with verse 5 as we talk about we were to remove barriers to Christ. We'll start with the first half of verse 5 in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, which says, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Speculations and lofty things is Paul's definition of verse 4. Because verse 4 says, for the weapons of our warfare, are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Those fortresses are the speculations and lofty things that keep us from the knowledge of God. So let's talk about what these speculations are. Uh, There's a definition in your your bulletins there, uh, but I kind of like the word rationalizations. What do I mean by that? First Corinthians chapter 10, please. Just back one book. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That's right. Old nimble fingers is here again. <laughs> I promise not I to get too carried away today. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. Very popular verse that we use a lot, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But let's read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 says, "No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able." but with the temptation will provide the way to escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Now, a lot of times we use this verse when we are in deep distress, when you're in a life situation that has really beat you down, the loss of a loved one, the loss of your house or a job. And we like to say, well, the Bible says God's never going to give us anything more than we can handle. Hooey. That's not what it says. It says he's not going to give you more temptation than you can handle. But with that temptation we will provide a way to escape. He's not talking about life's issues. You see, if, if in all of life's issues, we were able to escape them on our own, who needs God? See, I firmly believe that God takes us through those difficult times and allows us to struggle through those difficult times so that we'll come to him because we come to the end of ourselves and realize, oh my goodness, I'm a mess. And without God, I'm gonna stay there. And we come to, our, come to him on our knees. So we rationalize. We take this verse and we rationalize. I'm in a tough spot, but God's promised not to do it, you know, give me more than I can handle so I'm okay. And we rationalize what that verse says and it's not really what it says. So we've got to be careful how we use the Word of God. We can take verses out of context to mean what we want them to mean instead of what they actually mean. So when you're reading the Word of God and when you're going through the Word of God, you can't go in with a preconceived idea of what you're looking for. I want the Bible to tell me I can do this. Because you can find it if you take verses not the way they're meant to be. Instead, we go into the Bible with our minds open to God and the Holy Spirit of God to tell us what He wants us to know and allow Him to interpret what Scripture says instead of coming with a preconceived idea. And that's this concept of speculation. It's us not reading the Word of God the way we should be. The second part is lofty things. The idea of lofty things here are barricades or barriers, something that blocks the revelation of God. I believe that these barriers, these blockades, are things that we build. Uh, They're not something that somebody else puts there, but they are things that we build ourselves. But how do we make these, how do we destroy these speculations and lofty things? John chapter 8, please. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And if you will know the truth, the truth will make you free. So here's Ken's rationalization. I'm cheating, I know. All right, this is what it says, and understand what it says. It says, if you continue in my word, you're my disciples. If you're my disciples, you'll know the truth. And if you know the truth, you're free. Therefore, if you continue in God's word, you're free. You get that? So the freedom that we're looking for from these speculations and lofty things, that freedom comes through the word of God. But it's more than just reading it. Go to James chapter 1, please. James chapter 1. Right after Hebrews. James chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. Says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. By the way, how do you implant the word? Yeah, read it, memorize it. Verse 22, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror, and once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of a person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So we read and we do. It's not just a matter of reading. Um... One of the things I have to be cautious of in my life, I love the Word of God. I love to read it. I love to study it. I love to rip it apart. I like to go into original language. I like to get into the little tiny details. It's what I do. I, I, I just The more I do it, the more I like it. But I have to be cautious because I can make the book my idol instead of the person the book is about. You see, this whole book is about Jesus from beginning to end, about creation. He created us, about the fall and sin, about how he dealt with sin through his precious blood on Calvary to give us an opportunity to be able to live with him forever. And then a picture of forever. The whole book is about Jesus. And that's the one we need to idolize and worship and hold up on a pedestal, not the book. But we're not going to know Jesus without the book. Because it's the only source of truth that we have of who Jesus is. So we need to be in the book and doing the book. All right, back to 2 Corinthians, please, chapter 10. Second part of verse 5. We were to capture every thought for Christ. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Christ. It carries the idea of capturing these thoughts, taking them prisoner, and forcing them to obey God. Because quite frankly, we won't do it on our own because of our nature. And how are we gonna do this? Well, get out your pens, because I wanna give you five things that you can do that are not in your bulletin, and that I will give you opportunity to show you how you can take these thoughts captive. Point number one, accept responsibility for your thoughts. Accept responsibility for your thoughts. You don't have to go here, I'll do it for you. You gotta hold on to your pens. James chapter one, verse 14 says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. God doesn't tempt you to sin. The devil don't make you do it, you do it, I do it. It's our own lust, and we need to accept that. We need to accept that the thought process in our head that's wrong is because we're doing it, we've made a choice. So we need to accept the fact that take responsibility for the things that go through our heads. God warned Cain in Genesis chapter four to watch his thoughts and to focus his mind on right things. But instead, Cain showed anger and jealousy, and it made him commit murder. Okay, see, we need to focus our thoughts. We need to accept responsibility for our thoughts. Number two, your mind must change, not just your behavior. Your mind must change, and not just your behavior. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. you got to change your mind. We talk about repentance. The concept of repentance is you turn around 180 degrees and go in the opposite direction that you were going. Okay, And a lot of times in our active life, when we sin, we recognize the sin and we turn and we don't sin anymore. But then we turn back and we sin again. And then we turn back, we don't sin anymore. You see what's happening here? We're zigzagging down the road of life. i kind of rather walk straight. But the mind doesn't change. So the actions keep acting the same way. You see, I, 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 I stopped cursing a long time ago. But trust me, when that guy cuts me off on the road, my mind is going to think some things that aren't going to come out of my mouth, but they don't belong there. Okay, because I haven't changed my mind on how I'm reacting to this person. Shout, it ain't his fault he did that. Probably never learned how to drive. <laughs> Maybe I don't know how to drive. You understand what I'm saying? Your mind needs to change on how you react to things and how you think about things, so that your mind is here, thinking godly thoughts and not thinking about what somebody's doing on the road. Who cares what they do? You want to get in there? Go ahead. I'll be two minutes late for work. I don't care. I should have got up earlier. Okay? It's the mind that needs to change, not just the behavior. We need to focus on that. Number three, think through your problems. Think through your problems rather than just react to them. Think through your problems rather than just react to them. See, there's two things you can do with problems as you come into them. There's two ways you can deal with them. The first thing you can do is you can think yourself into despair. Oh, woe is me. I have this problem again. Oh, shucks. I'm just a terrible person. And go about your way. Or you can look forward to the next opportunity by asking yourself, what did I learn when I went through this problem? and not get trapped by those disabling thoughts. Pastor was, was, was preaching up at the conference this week. One of the things, the concept that he talked about was falling forward, which I thought was a kind of a neat idea. Because see, we're all gonna fall. That's the, that's the nature of who we are as sinners. But when we fall, we should fall forward, moving forward, trying to be more like Christ and following him. Not falling backwards so that when we get up, we're going to make the same mistake all over again. But that's a thought process we need to have. Not to wallow in our despair, but to say, what can I learn from this process that I'm in? And improve it. And make my thought process more like God. There's another way that that helps us. Proverbs chapter 24. I should put these on, I'll never know where I am. Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24. And we were talking about this in men's group on Saturday. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 6 says, For by wise guidance you will wage war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. The the idea of this whole concept, this idea, is that we don't fight this battle alone. I'm looking at about 100 people who are going to fight it with me because that's what we're here to do. We're here to fight that battle. Chapter 20, go back a couple pages to chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 18, which says, Plan, prepare plans by consultation and make war by wise guidance. So when you thought get in the wrong way and your problems become problems, wise counsel is an awesome methodology that can help us fall forward. This is why we do church, folks. You know, I've I've met a lot of people who say, well, I don't need to go to church. I can sit home, read my Bible, I'm doing just fine. Where's the wise counsel? Doesn't exist. But the, the other side of this is, and Pastor talked about this last week, this is what engaged groups are designed to do. You see, we couldn't come in here on Sunday for an hour and a half but really how great friends are you making in this hour and a half that you're here? Sucks for half an hour, you're listening to me. So that's not gonna help you any. You need to create relationships, close relationships where those things that we don't ordinarily wanna talk about, we can talk about. With someone who is like-minded. Look, before I surrendered my life to Christ, I had a lot of friends. But when I surrendered and turned my life around and started following Jesus Christ, those friends fell by the wayside. Not because I said, I don't want to be with you anymore because you're heathens and I'm not, not at all. But our lives went in different directions. I'm following Jesus and they're not. Now, would I go to them now and ask them for advice on a life problem? Shucks, no. Because that wouldn't lead me any closer to Jesus. So I need Christian friends that can help build me up and help me understand and help me get into the Word of God because trust me, the Holy Spirit of God is gonna use you to help me or someone else. But you've gotta create these relationships with other believers where you can get yourself to a position where that can happen. That's what engaged groups are designed to do. And the ladies group and the men's group, these uh, the, the young adults and the teens. And, I mean, all these groups that gather are gathered for a single purpose, to develop relationships so that iron can sharpen iron. Because if somebody who doesn't know you walks up to you and says, I heard what you said outside, you shouldn't have said that. You're going to go, and walk away. But if somebody who you know and trust, and you know has your best interests at heart and loves the word of God, goes up and says, you know, dude, you really shouldn't be talking like that, you know you're probably going to listen. So that's why we do engaged groups. That's why we do women's group and men's group. You need to be part of that stuff. Church is more than an hour and a half. This is a body. All right, I beat that up. Next, number four, take your disabling thoughts captive through confession. Take your disabling thoughts captive captive through confession. The Bible tells us that we should confess to one another. And obviously, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, and don't miss the rest of this, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we can live righteous. So confession needs to take place. And that's how we take our thoughts captive. Number five, choose to focus your thoughts on right things. Choose to focus your thoughts on right things. Which takes you right to Pastor Ken's favorite verse, Philippians 4.8. I think I mentioned this last time I was up here. Philippians 4.8, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. That's your choice. You can choose to dwell on those things or you can choose to dwell on something else. God designed us that way to make a choice. So what's your choice? Trust me, if you trust the Holy Spirit of God to help your mind dwell on the proper things, he's going to show you right where that Christian radio station is. Or he's going to tell you when you turn that movie on, that you probably shouldn't be watching that John Wick guy. Because it's probably not the kind of movie you should be entering into your head. You need the discernment of the Holy Spirit to help you choose what to put your mind on but it's your choice. So if, you're, if you find your thoughts wandering in the wrong direction, start thinking about what your choices are and what kind of decisions, what kind of choices have you been making. And just, just ask him to reveal to you. God's pretty cool about that. If you ask him to reveal to you what choices you're making that you shouldn't be, he will tell you. Using one of those wonderful people you're fellowshipping with in church. Trust him. Trust him. He will do it for you. All right, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, please. And we're going to go on to verse 6. Actually, I want to kind of carry verse 5 into verse 6. Understand that these numbered divisions were made by some guy who wasn't really in the letter when Paul wrote it to so. him. But he says, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Turn back a page or two to Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse one. And I went past. It. Did that picture. Bless you. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Uh, I would like to suggest that sometimes I don't think we fear God like we should. Uh, I, I, I really believe that there is an attitude, uh, and probably because I've been there and I've done it myself, that I'm okay because we live in the age of grace. What does that mean? That means that Jesus Christ died for my sin. I have been forgiven. Therefore, now when I sin, I am no longer going to have to worry about paying the penalty for that sin because Christ did it for me. That's grace. That's receiving something I didn't deserve. That's grace. That's grace. So, since we live in the age of grace, guess what? I can go sin. Can I? Ha! Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, please. And we're going to be here for a while so you can pull all your fingers out of the Bible. Romans chapter 6. See, sometimes we don't speak about punishment of disobedience. Because we live in the age of grace. But Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Hey, God forbid is right. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. This is baptism, the picture of baptism that we do as believers following the model of Jesus Christ who was baptized before he began his public ministry. We also get baptized. And that baptism is our way of telling everybody else that's hanging out that we have been buried with Christ. And out of there comes a new man or woman, right? That is the picture. That is who we are. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be what? Slaves to sin. For he who has died is what? Freed from sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over Him. I want you people to understand something. The minute you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you died. And that is the only death you will ever have to suffer because we're going to live forever in heaven with God. So we died. At least it tells me that here. Verse 10, I read. Verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting your members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. You do it. I do it. Just like we said in James. All right, so... God used two different guys to give you the same concept. We choose to sin. We're yielding our members as instruments of unrighteousness. Continuing in verse 13, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God for sin shall not be master over you for you are not under law but under grace and there's where the grace comes in. Okay? So we, we're no longer prisoners of sin. If you are, you've made yourself that because God's provided a way not to be. So if we're still wallowing in our sin, it's because we've chosen it. And I don't know about you, but after a while, you begin to realize that sin doesn't have a real good ending to it. So why do we keep choosing it? I had a thought. I have lots of these. I probably shouldn't do this. (laughs) Some of them are real good. All right. We have obedience over here. We have disobedience over here. So I'm thinking about I want something, uh, a a new lawnmower. So over here, I'm going to obey and eventually get enough money to buy a new lawnmower. Over here, I'm going to go steal it. Over here, I save some money. Over here, okay, where am I going to get it from? I'm going to go find out who's got the nicest mower. I'm going to find out where he keeps it. I'm going to make sure he doesn't have an alarm system. Or a dog that bites. <laughs> or a wife that carries a gun. <laughs> I might need some help, so I'll have to get some buddies of mine to come assist me. And we'll have to devise a plan on how we're going to get here to get this mower so that I can have this mower. And then I get this mower and I take it home. And then I'm stressed because I don't know if somebody followed me or if somebody saw me, if the police are gonna knock me. You understand what's happening here? Over here I just saved some money and bought a mower. Shucks, that was easy. Over here I went through all this stuff. And now I'm stressed. (coughs) It's so easy to obey and so hard to disobey Yet we choose disobedience. We choose the hard way. You want to know why your life's full of stress? You're over here stealing lawnmowers. <laughs> yeah, really. If you get that, come over to my house, I need to better look. But you get the drift here. For some reason, in our feeble minds that we don't think right, we think that this is easier than this when it really isn't. It's, it's easy to follow God if we follow God, okay? I, 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 I can't stress this enough, folks. Um, let, me, let me continue on. Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone, listen, as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. You probably never really thought of yourselves as slaves today. But we are. Every single one of us is a slave to something because we're going to obey something. You might be obeying yourself. So you're a slave to yourself. Not a good place to be. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. We just got to choose that. We just got to accept that. We just got to walk in that. All right, let's go back to 2 Corinthians. And I'll finish this up here. Second Corinthians chapter 10. When we're talking about your obedience being complete, our obedience is complete only when we get to heaven. You see, the Bible tells us that when in heaven, we are going to judge the world and we are going to judge angels. Pretty cool, isn't it? I know, it sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? But we are. The Bible's very clear on that. But in our current state, we can't do that. I can't judge you because I still have a sin nature. So my obedience is not complete until I get to heaven. And that's where we will see the punishment of disobedience for those who have never trusted Christ. So that's what that verse is talking about, just so you know, I don't miss that point because you're going to sit there and go, oh, you never did talk about punishment. I don't understand what that meant. Now you know. Or maybe you don't. All right, look. <clears throat> The war for complete obedience begins with the Word of God. We don't know Jesus until we read it. We really don't. I always encourage people, especially young believers, read the book of John. The book of John is one of the neatest gospels that really shows you the heart of God and to understand who Jesus Christ really is. But through the book is the only way we're going to figure it out. And I'm going to share it with you this way. You do not have to turn all these places that I'm going to, but you may want to write them down. Starting with Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, which says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. So the book, the Bible, the ideas, the concepts of Scripture shouldn't leave you day or night. It should always be there in your heart, and your mind. You want to be prosperous? Now, I have challenged, if you look on there in the notes uh, for your engaged groups, I want you to answer that question, what's it mean to be prosperous, prosperous and what's it mean to have success? cause I'm not here to preach to you a prosperity gospel. I'm not telling you that if you obey God you're going to be rich in money. That's not what I'm telling you. But you'll be rich. Go to your engagement, you'll figure it out. First Samuel chapter 15. Verse 22. Says, Samuel said has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. So when we're talking about obedience, you can give all the money to the church you want. But it's obedience that God wants to see. He don't want your money. He wants your life. Psalm 119.9. Bless you. Psalm 119.9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. You want to have pure thoughts? You want to have your thought life be right? You got to keep it according to the word of God. And trust me, if you read Psalm 119, every verse mentions the word of God. So if you want to learn how the word of God can impact your life, read Psalm 119. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. I used to tell my kids that you show me whether or not you love me if you do what I ask you to do. And it's really a biblical concept because that's how we show God that we love him and honor him if we obey him. So I would like to suggest that in disobedience, you're saying the opposite. I don't love God. So I don't have to do what he says. Hebrews chapter 5, please turn there. Hebrews chapter 5. I'm going to look at verses 12 through 14. Hebrews chapter 5. Bless you. Yeah, it must be allergy season. <laughs> I sneeze during worship, So, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 5. Starting at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teaching, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk, and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, listen, who because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And this is where we fall off, because we ain't practicing. And trust me when I tell you these guys that just got up here and played instruments and sang, practice. Because they weren't going to be that good if they don't. Well, if we want to live a life that's righteous following God, we got to practice. And we practice by reading the Word of God. Because quite frankly, too many of us are still babes. And we still aren't digging into the Word of God to understand who He is and what He wants from us and how to live. i got to tell you, man, living a life for God is so much easier. It's so much easier and living a life of sin. And it certainly has some wonderful, wonderful rewards. All right, I'm going to end with something. I have to sit down. <clears throat> I'm getting too old for this. Uh, I want to end with something that uh, I think a lot of you are going to be familiar with. Uh, but I, I think you'll, you'll understand why I'm, why I'm reading this. So let me go with this. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word... What a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear or a sigh or a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share. But our toil he doth richly repay. Not a grief or a loss or a frown or a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. Then in fellowship (laughs) sweet, We will sit at his feet, or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he says we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let's pray. Oh, God, how I love your word, because in it we find the words of truth, the words that we need to hear, the the, the direction, and man, we see the love of a God who created us and loved us so much that suffered the penalty of sin so we didn't have to. And Father, we all look forward to that opportunity in that time when we hear that trumpet sound and we're called to meet you. But until that time, Father, help us to walk with you. Help us through the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit to walk a life with Jesus of obedience. And then we will have success. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.